everyone. Welcome to Now Boarding, a new travel podcast by me, Payal Nair. This show aims at creating awareness about ecotourism, sustainable tourism, responsible travel, and a lot more. We will cover stories and journeys of people who are ecotourism specialists and those who are leaders in their field. We will also be talking to people who have had unique travel experiences, remarkable conceptual places to stay, unexplored cultures and ancient histories of various towns and cities around the world. Join me in this journey of knowing more about travel. Get inspired to see the world and discover your inner self. Hi everyone, today I am in conversation with Sangeeta Ayer. This is going to be a very, very special episode. In fact, it's going to be released on um, on a very special day, which is the World Elephant Day. Um, Sangeeta is a, she's an author, she's a filmmaker, she is a Nat Geo Explorer. She's also the founder of the Voice for Asian Elephants Society. And um, I'm, I'm so excited and so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for joining me today, Sangeeta. And you are in Canada at the moment, I understand. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you and, uh, you know, to be able to share whatever I can that will benefit the greater good. Thank you. I look forward to that. So um, just a little background to you, um, Sangeeta. Um, I, I understand from before our conversation, uh, before we started recording, that you moved to Canada in 1989 right so where did you move from and what was the reason for that wow so I moved from Kenya I lived in Nairobi for about three and a half four years where I used to teach biology to grades 10 11 and 12 and I moved to Canada because you know I got caught up in a coup uh, a political coup and um, you know I was returning home with my family and we were stopped and looted, our jewelry and everything taken. I had a, you know, um, luckily we didn't have a lot of cash or whatever, but that really helped us decide that we got to get out of there soon. So within a week, we were out of Kenya and we had a friend who had already moved to Canada from Kenya and he helped us with the immigration process, et cetera. And yeah, so that's how we move here. So I'm just starting to feel that um, the connection with wildlife uh, probably came to you from when you were living in Kenya. No, my wildlife connection came when I was in India. I was born and raised in Kerala. Okay. And um, even as young as about three years of age, um, it's not just wildlife, by the way, it's all animals. My grandparents used to take me to this amazing temple where um, I connected with the bull elephant that it was a really, really deep connection I felt with him. And I did, uh, you know, every time I saw him, it was almost like he's my sole animal and the handlers, the mahus, they would just leave me with him to play and, uh, they had no concerns at all because both of us were like so comfortable in each other's company. And so that's how my love for elephants in particular evolved. And 
there was a, there were times apparently my grandmother used to tell me when I became a teenager, she said, Sangeeta, at that young age, like between three and three and a half, four years of age, you were asking me some deep questions. Apparently I asked her, why do, why does this elephant have you know, chains on his legs, like, you know, and appointed, not necessarily articulating the way I'm articulating now, but in my own childish words. And my grandma said, well, it is because he has to stay at the temple. And she said, I'm going to get you the same thing. So next day, my smart grandma, she went out and got me, you know, the anklets and she tied it on my legs. And she said, look, you have it too now. I said, no, no, no. But that elephant has the, you know, the, the two anklets tied together like this and mine is not. And my grandma looked at me and said, I was speechless because I didn't, I didn't know how to respond to that question. And the rest is history because I just feel like my fate was carved out when I was such a young girl. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So when did you actually set up the, so what came first? Uh, you being a filmmaker uh, and doing, you know, doing uh, the docu-series that you did for Nat Geo, did that come first or did you found the uh, Voice for Asian Elephant Society first? How, like, what was the progression? Yeah, that's a that's a good question but it was indeed a progression and it all happened you know within a span of about five to six years so in 2013 when i was visiting my father um you know he was dying and there were you know like there was a chain of events that took place that led me back to kerala by this time my family had moved to mumbai so that's where i was visiting my family but I had a conservation friend and who, you know, he invited me to Kerala. He said, you got to come here and you got to visit these temples and see how elephants are being treated. And immediately, of course, it's the flashback, right? I'm like, wow, I'd love to go and visit and reconnect with my elephant. And so I, my my, my dad was just healing and I said, I just need a couple of days break. I'm going to go and I'll come back. Of course, I went there and I am a videographer. So no matter where I go, I carry my camera with me. And when I visited the temple, I am telling you, I was utterly devastated to see the, you know, plight of these temple elephants, the embodiment of Lord Ganesh. Many of them had tears flowing down their faces. They had massive tumors on their bodies and you know chains cutting into their flesh blood oozing out from all over their body and you had this handler poking and prodding constantly with this vicious weapon called ankush and i just voraciously started filming everything i didn't feel emotional at the time because i was just so caught up in this thing oh, i gotta capture this i gotta capture this so i I get I I think I grabbed about 25 hours of footage and I returned to Toronto and I thought to myself, oh my God, I gotta do something with this. And I just didn't know what to do. 
I didn't know because I, I mean, I used to be a broadcaster. Uh, so basically what I would do is I would be, you know, anchoring on the ABC CBS affiliate in Bermuda and, you know, doing environmental reporting, like two minute segments. And, how, you know, this thought of creating a documentary came to me and I'm like, what? Like, I can't, I don't have the experience of creating a documentary. What am I thinking? And where am I going to get the money to create this, right? So I had this conversation with my media friends and they all said, Sangeeta, you can easily raise money. This is an important topic. And it's almost like the universe guided me to sort of pursue my purpose. And it's almost like my purpose was really crystallized because up until this time, I was already talking about protecting nature. I was talking about climate change because I was one of the 200 people uh, under the tutelage of, you know, former Vice President Al Gore, who had this climate reality project as one of the 200 people from Canada. And I've been doing all these things. But this documentary, I was so intimidated. I was so terrified. But the, the footage just kept haunting me. So I decided to produce this film and it became Gods and Shackles. And again, how it became Gods and Shackles is something that I have chronicled in my book, recently released book, Gods and Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience and Freedom. But that's how Gods and Shackles came about. And I started producing it in about uh, like, when I was there, but I didn't even think I was producing. I just thought I was grabbing this footage and everything started falling into proper place. I raised enough funds. I had thousands of supporters who never knew me from around the world rallying behind. And then in 2016, the movie was released on May. Uh, I'm sorry, On I, I think it was... Um, it debuted or world premiered on the Kerala General Assembly grounds of all the places on June the 29th, 2016. The film had been produced by May 2016. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to release it before sharing it with the people of Kerala, with the decision makers. I wanted them to know first what was going on. And, and People were totally shocked because this is the first time ever such a movie was produced. But let me backtrack a little bit. Prior to that, on March, uh, the, the first week of March 2016 itself, I had submitted my film for the Wildlife Film Festival, which is the first time the inaugural festival by Jackson um, the, ja the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Fest, which is almost like the Oscars for the non uh, for the green movement and the and the wildlife movement, and it was nominated at the United Nations General Assembly. Who would, I mean, how did that happen? And then the film had already won like about 12, 13 international film festival awards, and then to have it screened at Kerala's General Assembly was just like the icing on the cake and, and the media went crazy. It became a national sensation and every single you know, news media from Times of India, the Indian Express, the Hindu, the 
Deccan Herald and everybody not only covered the story and the BBC, of course, and then National Geographic. I mean, on and on and on. It was just so the movie came first to answer your question. And at that same time, I was thinking to myself, OK, well, this awareness and all of these things are great, but I need to do something more on the ground. So in July 2016, as it turned out, I also received the nonprofit status for Voice for Asian Elephant Society. So those two happened about the same time. Uh, that happened in July 2016. So, OK, so it happened around the same time. So what? Um, you know, so when you screen the film in, in Kerala and the entire film is because I, I had, I, you shared the link with me and I did get a chance to, uh, to see a lot of the film and whatever I saw just broke my heart because, you know, you mentioned earlier about tears rolling down. I mean, I saw all of that in the footage or in the film and, um, and the frenzy of the people um, who are there for this one particular ceremony and how, you know, even though um, the elephants are, are meant to be like it's, it's, it's a ceremony and they're meant to be like it's a divine thing or whatever, the, I, I, I don't really know what, what the background to the religious aspect of it is, but the way these elephants um, uh, in shackles with, um, you know, th the way they were being treated was absolutely shocking. So my question to you is, um, when you screened the film in Kerala, um, you know, and the, the location of it as well, what Kind, was there a reaction from the religious um, groups? Was there some kind of a sentiment which said, how dare you? Because I also, during the course of the film, um, I think the, the DOP, a couple of times I, I, I saw, like there was this one particular guy who kept saying, no, you cannot film this and go away or something like that, you know? So what kind of a reaction was there? So the reactions were mixed. Uh, there were some MPs and M, you know MLAs even who were at that screening and they were shocked. Many of them were in denial though because their only goal is to preserve their culture. And um, I have been cyber bullied and even news stories about me being cyber bullied has emerged. I received numerous death threats because it is actually you know, hitting their a pocketbook, you know, because now it's like, wow, this is exactly like you said, the embodiment of Lord Ganesh, elephants are considered the embodiment of Lord Ganesh, you know, and look at the way, is this what Lord Ganesh wants us to do, to treat these beautifully intelligent, sentient, and social animals you know, who are just such gentle beings to be treated in this atrocious manner. That's the question that I raised. I said, there are absolutely no Hindu or Christian or Islamic scriptures that talk about exploiting elephants 
for profit because that's what is actually going on. It is the individual elephant owners who lease out these elephants as though they are you know, a commodity and then they make mint money. There are you know, certain celebrity elephants who bring in approximately 10,000 US dollars per day and they are transported from festival to festival in precarious positions through precarious roads, all for making money. So how can you say that this is culture and religion when you are actually sitting and minting money? Why don't you just allow the elephants to be paraded for free then if money is not an issue, right? And that's the question that I asked all of them. And you know, the Speaker of the General Assembly was very moved. He was so supportive of this mission and the social issue. The chief minister also was incredibly supportive. And ever since the release of that film, you know, some of my advisors back in Toronto, they said, Sangita, you're going to need some security to protect you when you're traveling because we had organized a lot of screenings across Kerala and India and stuff like that. Of course, I had no concerns screening the films in New Delhi or Bangalore, but in Kerala, I was provided like VIP status, you know, and police used to follow me. I was escorted everywhere. I had like a whole, you know, group of policemen in undercover clothing, etc. But even then, after the screening of the movie, one man came and attacked me. He grabbed my hand and he put his business card and he kind of defiantly said, we're going to keep doing this. And he, what he does usually in his, um, his business is to produce, um, you know, capture equipment that will send shock to the elephants. I'm like, wow, this is, I'm so happy that I had the police to protect me. So the reactions, but the, the audience reactions were just devastating and many of them came to me and some of them began to cry some of them said lord ganesha will bless you and the elderly people were like literally in tears because not a lot of people knew about this but the irony of it all is that in spite of now learning all these things it still goes on mm -hmm. i mean it's like there's no when because did, the, yeah when did elephants actually get domesticated and does that happen only in India or it in other like in Africa for example are uh, elephants domesticated or are they just left in the wild because in India you see elephants you know they just on like they are almost like a toy for people uh, so so when did that actually happen so to begin with elephants can never be domesticated because they can never lose their wild instincts. Domesticated is a word that they use as a cover up. You know, it's almost like a deceptive word. It's, they're not like cows or buffaloes. It takes generations after generations after generations for an elephant to be domesticated, but they are tamed. Taming meaning they're brutalized with vicious weapons such as ankush and long poles and spears with pointed edges, spiked chains, all these just horrific weapons and it's to subjugate them uh, so they can obey the commands of the Mahouts. But there are 
I mean, they have no choice but to obey because they are terrified. They live in mortal fear every single second of their lives. They live in such fear. Like when somebody goes to the backside, they're kind of trying to look around to see what are you going to do at my back? Because they poke on the back, they poke in their, you know, the, the, the ankle, the joints. It's just a brutal and horrific enslaved life that these elephants live. And so just it's a misnomer to say that elephants will be domesticated. They can never be domesticated. And, you know, there's one person who said they are wild forever. They're wild until death. So that's how they remain. This is why sometimes when they're being paraded, you know, they go crazy, they become frustrated and they run amok and they kill people because they just, you know, they're paraded beneath the scorching sun, which is all unnatural. They're not given enough water, no food. And, you know, they consume like 300, 400 pounds of, you know, leaves, berries, barks, fruits and roots and soil in the wild. Whereas in captivity, what do you feed them constantly? They get fed this caryota palm leaves. It's absolutely inadequate. This is why many elephants, on an average, 25 captive elephants die every single year in Kerala. Every single year, they die from tuberculosis. 25% of Kerala's captive elephants suffer from tuberculosis. Some of them die, many of them die because of foot rot, because they're forced to stand on their own urine and excrement. Many of them die from digestive disorders because this carrier of palm leaves has so, it's fibrous mm -hmm. and it just clogs their system. So no, they can never be domesticated. What is the, like a natural uh, lifespan of an elephant? How many years is it like? I'm not sure how many years is it and what actually if an elephant is in the wild what actually causes um, the elephant to die naturally hmm. so there are multiple reasons they die naturally but let me address the age question first they live anywhere between 75 to 80 years in the wild however in captivity many of them are dying at 20 years 30 years 40 years you know, and it's and they and they cover up everything, whitewash everything and say things like the elephant was old. What? Like at 20 years, the elephant is old. The average age of elephants dying in Kerala is approximately 40 years. That's like half the lifespan in captivity. Again, like I said, they suffer from all these illnesses that they never suffer from in the wild. They usually die a natural death. But in recent years, given the fact that humans are encroaching into their forest land, you may know that India is going to be the most highly populated country on the planet as of next year. Initially, the United Nations had predicted that India would surpass China in 2027. But now, given the number of people that are being produced, number of children being born, so the population is incredibly high. 80% of the elephant habitats have been destroyed, meaning 80% of this land mass is being shared between humans and elephants. So naturally, whatever we do 
in terms of pollution, in terms of you know um, garbage dumping, all of the all of the things that we do in our world impacts them because they don't have a habitat anymore. Consequently, TB is also spreading rapidly and herpes virus, it's a deadly disease. Many elephants are contracting herpes virus in the wild at an unprecedented rate. In the wild these days, many of them are getting poached. So there are poachers, especially they are targeting bull elephants. And these bull elephants, because you know, for Asian elephants, only the bulls have tusks. The female elephants don't have tusks. So they target the bull elephants because of the illicit ivory trade. Then these days, elephants are getting electrocuted because people are, you know, cultivating crops inside the forest. And when elephants come to eat a little bit of food to, you know, forage, they get electrocuted because of these illegal fencing, which has like high voltage fencing. Additionally, railways are cutting through the forest and roadways cutting through the forest because now the big, vast forests have become forest patches. Just recently released report shows that some 400 elephants were electrocuted in just three years. Wow. And some yeah, 186 elephants were killed on India's deadly train tracks because of the speeding trains in just 10 years. And so, I mean, the statistics are really staggering. And the problem is, if this pace continues, if we keep up with this pace, these Asian elephants that are already endangered with only 40,000 of them left on the entire planet and fully 27,000 in India because it is their last bastion, at this rate, they will all perish. And Odisha is like a graveyard for elephants because, you know, mining is a scourge because, you know, it produces 40% of India's iron ore and so many other minerals. So yeah, there are so many issues impacting elephants in the past, I would say, I would say about 15, 20 years, all these issues that I've described have been impacting have been threatening the survival of elephants. So is there a solution? Well, there are lots of solutions that we're implementing. And so the, the greatest solution is to collaborate with the villagers because the government authorities, it has been already revealed that the Odisha government uh, forest authorities are corrupt. Many of them have been let go. And this is not is something that I am revealing. It has been in the news. Many divisional forest officers have been hand in glove with the poachers. So we initially wanted to work with them, but now that we know they are corrupt, the only alternative is to work with the villagers and grassroots organizations. We have about a dozen projects, you know, on our website, Voice for Asian Elephant Society, that is bfaes.org slash projects. And in order to address the electrocution issue, we have already installed solar fencing, which are elephant-friendly fences in two areas in you know, the northern region of West Bengal, where we are already seeing amazing results in the past two years. There's not been a single elephant death in the area that we are working in. The villagers are happy and they're maintaining. So it is that collaborative approach. So that is one project in order to address the railway deaths. We are creating this Elisense, which will detect the presence of elephants and send the signal to the 
you know, uh, train pilots and we are using technology. We're also using like just simple measures like cultivating elephant friendly saplings and transplanting them into the forest where elephants can consume and forage and graze. And so, and then simple things like flashlight distribution, because there are so many, as I mentioned, you know, 80% of the forest land has been decimated and there are many tea plantations especially in West Bengal. So elephants have to cross over from one forest patch to the other, and they have to cut through these tea plantations. Uh, it has become a very significant corridor for them. And so, um, you know, but the tea estate workers have also been killed because they come in sudden contact and, you know, they startle each other and elephants, they kill because yeah. they're, you know, enormous, enormously huge. Yeah. We don't stand a chance. Yeah. And this flashlight alerts the elephants and it protects the people. So there are numerous projects that we have launched. And so there are solutions that we are implementing. And there are certain states that are willing to implement these solutions. And yet there are solutions for these captive elephants as well that we propose to Kerala, but they will never implement because they cling to their, you know, misguided myths and beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so you're saying that about 27,000 of these bull elephants um, are in, in India itself in the different forests in India. Um, not, not bull, sorry, I just have to, I just have to say it's 27,000 of the elephant population, population. Not the bull elephant. Okay, not just the bull elephant. Okay, fine. So, um, no. uh, so 27,000 of them are in India. So where are the remaining um, elephants? In they're everywhere. They're in Thailand, some of them in Cambodia, some of them in all of the Asiatic countries. So we are talking about the endangered Asian elephants. There are two species, right? One is the African elephants. And of course, they have subspecies. And then there's the Asian elephants. So they have we have it. We have the elephants in Indonesia, um, all of these Asiatic countries surrounding even in China, uh, surrounding India. So, yeah. They're and everywhere. and um, so so you've probably traveled to these countries as well to to see what the plight of the elephants in these other countries is. Um, how does it compare with the way the elephants are treated in in, for example, Cambodia or Thailand versus in India? So let me talk about Thailand. I, I had visited Thailand and the situation of the elephants there is also horrific. So in Thailand, they have approximately 1,500 to 2,000 Asian elephants, and they have about 3,500 to 4,000 captive elephants as compared to the 2,500 odd captive elephants in India. So that's one good news that we have much fewer captive elephants compared to the other Asiatic countries. In Thailand, they're basically used for uh, tourism purposes, so elephant back rides. This is really horrific. I witnessed how they would whack their heads, blood oozing out of their forehead. See, the thing is, any kind of, you know, cap captivity for elephants is brutal. And that's because these are enormous animals. 
in order to control them, in order to make them do what you want, there's no choice but to exert like tremendous force, you know, and that is something that is unbearable. It's everywhere. It's exactly the same. They use the same kind of vicious weapons, the iron hook with which they whack their forehead and they you know, they hook it on the ears and pull it and it makes big holes in their ears and they start bleeding. And before even, like before even they start performing these uh, things that humans want them to perform, they have to go through a ritual called a crush. And the crush is just, it's the most atrocious and brutal thing ever. What they do is they capture young baby elephants they tie them to four poles and they put them in this wooden cabin sort of thing, which, you know, wood and the tree branches and the open, it's open up, up like there, there's no roof to cover them. And men, men, they constantly for 72 to, I don't know, 96 continuous hours, they do nothing but beat and beat and beat and beat and beat using the Ankush, using these spears. And where is this? In, in Thailand? It's everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in Thailand and it's in India. They, this is how they, they bring them under control and they starve them. They don't give them food. They don't give them water. And the elephant is so... Oh, exhausted and tired and says, okay, just give me some water. Just give me some food. I'll do everything you say. That's how they subjugate these. It's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's inhumane. It's, it's just not necessary because there are so many other entertainment that you know that that we have now technology has evolved people can go and watch movies musicals circus you know not animal circuses but human circuses there are so many things that people can do you don't need to do these things you can play your nintendo game you can play you know all of these you know what i'm saying right there are so many yeah. things to keep yourself amused and amused yeah yeah oh my god Just leave yeah. them alone I it's know. heartbreaking but i mean sangeeta it's it's good to see that um you know your you and your your society is is sort of so focused in trying to bring about this change and you know um I mean, all power to you. And I just hope that anyone and everyone who's listening in and who's watching, um, uh, you know, the 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 interview, um, it feels uh, empathetic and wants to help in you know in enabling um, you to to. Um, as much as possible, try and not, uh, you know, try and find solutions and help in whatever way they can. So thank you so much, Sangeeta. I mean, I know that when I watched um, the, the film and I saw parts of your docuseries, I have to say that I was so moved. And I was so, I mean, you know, there were tears because there was one particular elephant in your film whose trunk is paralyzed. 
Um, and I, I just could not, I can't even begin to describe to you how I felt when I saw um, how the elephant was trying to feed itself, you know? Um, and yeah, and I hope, and I wish you all the very best. And I hope that, um, you know, the amount of work that you are putting in, uh, there is some sort of silver lining for these elephants. So thank you so much for talking to me today, Sangeeta. You're welcome. If there's anything I wanted to mention, it's like people have to become aware yeah. of what's going on, educate themselves and spread the video like National Geographic Society funded, you know, the short film series, some of which you had watched and that is available for free. People can just, you know, log on to elephantmatrix.com and they can watch it. So create awareness, educate, spread the word. And with regards to the projects, you know, we are already implementing solutions. Anybody, if you can, please contribute. We need money to make all these things happen. Without money, we can't implement the solutions. You know, and we have fundraisers constantly. They can donate through our website. And I'll give you the website link that you can probably put on your YouTube or anywhere else that you want. So thank you so much also for, you know, having me and um, giving the opportunity to amplify the work that we are doing also to create awareness regarding the plight of elephants of India. They deserve to be free. They don't deserve to be in captivity. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. So thank you again, Sangeeta. And, um, and yeah, and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Now Boarding, a travel podcast. Check out other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And of course, don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes only on Now Boarding, a travel podcast.